So as many of you would know, today is Palm Sunday. And so our scripture reading this morning was um, the, the account uh, from Matthew's gospel, uh, as Cheryl read there, of Jesus entering into Jerusalem. And we're going to use that as a segue to pick up in our series of studies in Philippians because Jesus came to, he came into the world to reveal uh, God to us. He came into the world, in other words, so that we could really know God, so we could really know who God is. As a matter of fact, in the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 1, verse 18, it says, No one has seen God, speaking of the Father, at any time, but the one and only Son, who is also himself God, he has revealed him. He's brought him out into the open. And so Jesus came so we could really know God. And our text today is going to be from Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. And it's there that Paul the Apostle expresses the deepest longing of his heart. And that is this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. It's, it's really amazing when you think of Paul, how this is his uh, expression of his deep desire after many, many years of actually walking with Christ. So he's, you know, two decades in at least, and yet he still longs to know Christ in a deeper way. He wasn't content to have Um, just an introductory knowledge of Jesus, uh, nor was he content to have the knowledge of Christ alongside of uh, the knowledge of other things. For Paul, knowing Christ, knowing God through Christ was the great passion of his life. And and Paul knew something that we all uh, need to know as well, and that is there is nothing greater in life than knowing the Lord. That, that is uh, really, really the, the sole um, meaning of, of life is to know God. Uh, J.I. Packer, in his classic book entitled Knowing God, he began the book with these words. He said this, he said, what were we made for? What aim should we set ourselves in life? What is the best thing in life, bringing more joy, delight, and contentment than anything else? The answer to all of these questions is the same, knowing God. And so this is the introduction to his book. And of course, it's a classic uh, book on um, who God is. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that as we go on in our message today. But, but this whole idea of knowing God, Paul understood that this is why Jesus came into the world. And so he expresses that here in Philippians 3.10. Uh, but King David knew this as well. And he expressed this in many of the Psalms. Uh, Moses knew this. And Moses, um, I, I think of that great passage in Exodus 34, where Moses, he knows God, obviously, but he longs to know him greater. And he says at one point, in essence, he says, uh, Lord, I, I know you, but I, w- I want to know you more. 
if I found favor in your sight, let me see your glory. So Moses is not content, even though he's got a pretty amazing knowledge of God. He, he wants to go deeper. He wants to go further. So whether it's Paul or David or Moses or a 22-year-old preacher back in the 19th century, a young man at that time named Charles Spurgeon, uh, he preached a sermon in which he talked about this wonder of the knowledge of God. And I want to read to you from that sermon here for uh, just a moment. And it's, it's a fairly lengthy, it's a few paragraphs, but it's, it's worth reading and it's worth listening to. So let me read to you from a 22-year-old Charles Spurgeon. He said these words. It has been said by someone, the proper study of mankind is man. I will not oppose the idea, but I believe that it is equally true that the proper study of God's elect is God. The highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy which can ever engage the attention of the child of God is the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings, and the existence of the great God whom we call Father. There is something exceedingly improving to the mind in a contemplation of the divinity. It is a subject so vast that all our thoughts are lost in its immensity, so deep that our pride is drowned in its infinity. No subject of contemplation will tend more to humble the mind than thoughts of God. But while the subject humbles the mind, it also expands it. They who often think of God will have a larger mind than those who simply plod around this narrow globe. The most excellent study for expanding the soul is the science of Christ and him crucified and the knowledge of the Godhead in the glorious Trinity. Nothing will so enlarge the intellect, nothing so magnifies the whole soul of man as the devout, earnest, continued investigation of the great subject of deity. And while humbling and expanding, this subject is eminently consolatory. Oh, there is in contemplating Christ a balm for every wound. In musing on the Father, there is a quieting for every grief. And in the influence of the Holy Spirit, there is a balsam for every sore. Would you lose your sorrow, Spurgeon asked? Would you drown your cares? Then go plunge yourself in the Godhead's deepest sea. Be lost in his immensity and you shall come forth as from a couch of rest, refreshed and invigorated. I know of nothing which can so comfort the soul, so calm the swelling billows of sorrow and grief, so speak peace to the winds of trial as a devout musing on the subject of our great God. That is that is so amazing. It's so profound. And again, coming from a from a 22 year old, um, 
at that time. It's astounding, but he, he understood something. He understood that the greatest thing imaginable was to know God. And of course, that's what Paul understood. So Paul and Spurgeon and millions of others, they understood this, they sought after this, and we today, we have the same privilege of knowing God just as deeply and profoundly as they did. But here is the question. How do we grow in our knowledge of God? Or how, how do we pursue this knowledge of Christ? And once again, let me, let me quote the, the passage. Paul, remember the context there, he's talking about the things that he previously saw as important, the things that he trusted in, had confidence in. He said, but it, it, he's counted all of those things as a loss. He's counted them all loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. So that's what he's, he's willing to set everything else aside for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. And then he says again in verse 10, that I may know him. So this is his passion, that I may know him. So that's the question. How, how do we get to know God better? Now, becoming a Christian, that is, in, in a sense, that's where you come into that knowledge of God initially. Now, when the Bible speaks of knowing God, it's important to note this, that the word that's used, the Greek word that's used, is a word that speaks of knowing by experience. So it's not just knowing about God. It's, it's entirely possible to know about God, but not know God personally or experientially, just like it's entirely possible to know about a person uh, you might know a lot about a certain person who's uh, alive today, maybe a, a celebrity or someone that you admire. So you've really, you know, investigated and you, you know a lot about them. Uh, maybe it's somebody in, in history, in the past. Um, but, of course, you would have to admit that, well, yeah, I know a lot about them, but I don't know them. So, you know, it's possible to know about God, but not to know God personally. But what the Bible is talking about, what Paul is expressing here, is not just merely having information about God, but he's talking about knowing him in a personal and in an experiential manner. So again, how do we do that? And I'm going to give us three things that if we do these things, if we apply these things, this is going to help us to grow in our experiential knowledge of God. So number one, we can come to know God better by gleaning from those who do know him better than we do. So perhaps there's somebody in your life, maybe it's a family member, uh, maybe it's a, a friend, uh, a, another a Christian brother or sister, but there, it's somebody that you look up to and you think, you know, they really they really know the Lord. I really admire their relationship with God. It just seems like they really know the Bible well and they have, um, they, they just always seem to have the right scripture to go to when there's a question or, or a problem that needs to be solved. Or, you know, whenever I talk to that person and uh, I ask them to pray for me, they, they always seem to pray the right thing. There, there's just something about them you recognize in them that they have 
a knowledge of God that surpasses yours. Now, that, that's not a bad thing. It's just the way it is. They probably have been a Christian longer than you have. So somebody like that can be a tremendous benefit to you because you can learn from them. You can glean from them. And you might even just ask them like, hey, could we uh, spend a little time together? Now, of course, right now, that's not uh, possible personally because of social distancing. Uh, but it's, you know, you could do it on a Zoom meeting or you could do it on a FaceTime or you could do it on, uh, you could do it on a telephone if you want to be really old fashioned. But you can, um, you can connect with that person. Over the years, I've had many occasions where I've been with somebody uh, for the very purpose of just imparting things that God's shown me uh, to them, just sharing with them. So, hey, let's go have a cup of coffee. Uh, let's open up our Bibles. Let's, let's walk through some of these verses. Let me tell you what these passages have meant to me over the years and so forth. We sometimes call that discipling. And um, we could call it that or mentoring. But the idea is that there are uh, older and more mature Christians out there and we can glean from them. And so that's one thing. Now, uh, that's also the, the same idea is applicable to, say, pastors and teachers. So maybe there are those that you feel like when I listen to that person teach the Bible, I really grow in my understanding. I really feel like I'm getting strengthened. That's great. And the really wonderful thing right now is that we have amazing access to so much of that today that we didn't even have in previous generations through the technology. Of course, through you know websites and through uh, things like podcast and, and all of these different resources that we have today. You know, the passage that I quoted, that lengthy passage from Spurgeon, that is buried in uh, the center of a book that's about 300 pages. And that book is uh, one volume in about uh, 66 volumes of sermons. So, you know, you really got to put forth a major effort to find that stuff. But Today, in our digitalized um, world, uh, that, that's all been made easy for us. I think I said that word wrong, but you know, you get what I mean. Um, so take advantage of those things and, and tap into that stuff. When I was a young Christian, back in those days, we uh, didn't have the internet and we didn't have... Uh, the things that I'm talking about right now, we had these things called cassette tapes. And anyone in my generation will know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, we had cassette tapes. And I remember back in those days having a whole set of tapes of Bible teaching. And my friends and I, we would get together and we would listen to these together. Uh, I would put it on in my car when I was traveling. I'd carry around a, a, what we would know today as a boom box and I would listen to these teaching tapes. But I was doing that because I was being fed and strengthened and I was coming to know God through the gifts that God had given to other people. So there might be um, pastors and teachers that you've connected with and you can use the knowledge that God has given them to 
grow deeper in your knowledge of the Lord. And you know, then, then there's also books. I'm, I'm a believer in books. Even though we live in the digital age, I, I still love a book. I like to personally just have a book in my hand. I like to read from books. I like to mark in my books, to highlight them. Um, you might prefer to use your um, iPad or uh, something like that. That's fine. But there are so many great books available that also can help us grow in our knowledge of God. I think off the top of my head, I think of three books that have really blessed me that are books that speak specifically about uh, this idea of the knowledge of God, getting to know God um, in his attributes. So the theological term for studying God would be, um, it's, it's a theology of, say, God proper is what they would call it. Um, in theological terms. But in that, you study the attributes of God. You study the nature of God, the character of God, and so forth. And there, some, some stuff is just so thick and so heady that it, it's complicated and it doesn't really help. But then there are those who are able to put it in, in just terms that everybody can get a hold of. And these three books, um, I want to suggest to you, at least one of them, uh, if not all three, these I have found to be tremendously helpful. The first one is a book that was written by R.C. Sproul. R.C. Sproul was a, a theologian slash pastor, and he wrote a great book on the attributes of God called Discovering the God Who Is. And, and I remember reading that book and just really being blessed by it and benefiting from it. And I highly recommend that to anyone who wants to just get a better understanding of uh, the greatness of God and, and looking more closely at the nature of God. Then the book that I already referred to and quoted from is the book called Knowing God by J.I. Packer. This book, Knowing God, is a classic. It's a Christian classic. It was written in the early 1970s. It's been revived uh, since then. Uh, Packer is one of the oldest living theologians in the world today. He's still with us. Uh, but, a, but a brilliant book, a wonderful book, and very helpful in increasing our knowledge of God. And then there's another book that's similar. It's called The Knowledge of the Holy. And this book is written by A.W. Tozer. Now, um, again, they're all a little bit different. They cover similar topics regarding the nature of God, but I highly recommend um, each and every one. And if it's possible, get all three of them and, and make your way through them. They're really good because you see what we're talking about here is we're talking about growing in our knowledge of Christ. And like I said, we grow by gleaning from others who know the Lord better than we do, who have walked with him longer and studied his word more deeply. And, and they become a blessing and a benefit to us. Uh, one other thing I would say in regard to knowing God through books would be um, biographies. Great, there, there are so many great Christian biographies, um, the stories of men and women. And what I like about biographies is that it puts it in a context of a life. So you get to see through a person's life, just like we do in the Bible. We read in the Bible, we've got all of these narratives in the Bible, we've got all of these characters, we've got Abraham and we've got Jacob and we've got Sarah and we've got 
uh, Moses and Miriam, and we've got Joseph and Mary and the apostles. And, and these are all lives. And we, we learn from the way they interacted with God. And so beyond the scripture, we have the same thing. We have the stories of people's lives, people who knew God, people who God used in extraordinary ways. And those can be such a blessing. I remember years ago reading the uh, autobiography um, of Billy Graham. Autobiography, of course, is written by the person themselves. And that, that autobiography is called Just As I Am. And I remember reading that book and being so impacted by it. It became a very uh, powerful tool that God used to just speak to me about how he works in people's lives. Uh, I remember reading the great biography on James Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor was the pioneer missionary into um, inland China back in the 1800s. And his story is amazing. There are many uh, biographies written on uh, Hudson Taylor. The one that, that is my favorite is called A Man in Christ. And the author is named Roger Steer. Again, an excellent book and very helpful. And then um, Gladys Alward. I was asking my wife, Cheryl, who loves um, Christian and missionary biographies. I said, if, if there was just one woman that you would recommend reading her biography, who would it be? And right immediately she said that Gladys Alward would be at the top of her list. And the book that she recommended is called The Little Woman. And it's, it's actually, again, an autobiography uh, by Gladys Alward herself. And, and I think in this one, there was a, a person who worked with her um, to complete the autobiography. But, but in all of these kinds of things, again, we're talking about gleaning from others who know God. Now, speaking of my wife, her and her good friend, Jasmine Allnut, they have been working on a new podcast. Um, I was talking about podcasts earlier, and they're doing a podcast called Women You Should Know, and they're both uh, kind of crazy about um, missionary biographies. So they're doing a, a series of these uh, talks, these discussions about these great women uh, missionaries, and that. Uh, podcast is going to be launched here actually next week. And so um, I'm looking forward. I've, I've been eavesdropping on some of the recording and I know it's going to be fantastic. So uh, ladies, this is going to, you know, kind of directed toward women, but I know men are going to be able to be blessed by it as well. So gleaning from those who know God better than we do. Secondly, our question is, of course, remember, how do we grow deeper in our knowledge of Christ and God Secondly, we must spend quality time alone seeking God. We must spend quality time alone seeking God. Now, as much as all of these other things are helpful and important, um, and God uses all of these other things, all of us need to have a time where we personally seek God. Because it's when we personally seek him that we are going to connect with him on a level that takes us even deeper. Now, the psalmist and the prophets, they spoke uh, much about this, this level of seeking God personally. And I wanna uh, share a few of those passages with us just to encourage us in regard to 
um, to seeking God and, and to doing this personally. You see, if I just, as a Christian, if I just did all the other things I just mentioned, and that would be very helpful, but there's a dimension that I'm, I'm still going to miss out on. Because in a sense, in all the things that I've just talked about, we are, our knowledge of God is being filtered to us through other people, which is good, and God uses that. But there is a place where God wants to meet you directly, personally. And that only happens if we, uh, if we seek him ourselves, if we make that time to just really uh, get before him and, and seek to engage with him. And listen to the expression of the psalmist and a few of the prophets about this very thing. In Psalm 27, uh, David's the author. He says, one thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord. So David is expressing his personal desire to dwell in the house of the Lord. Now, when David said the house of the Lord, he's just really talking about the presence of God. He was seeking to dwell in the presence of God. And later on in that Psalm, he says as he says, when you said, so he's in the Psalm, he's speaking back to God. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. It's very interesting because David here tells us that God said to him, seek me. And David said, I will seek you. And you know, God says that to us as well. He says, seek me, seek my face. He invites us to do this. Of course, we could not know God at all if he didn't give us an invitation to come and know him, but he has given us an invitation to come and know him. In Psalm 42, the uh, writer of the Psalm says, as a deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God, my soul thirsts for God, the living God. You see, once again, talking about that personal thirsting for God. And then Psalm 63, God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and glory. I love that. And this is one of my favorite passages in the Psalms. God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. Early will I seek you. So the psalmist is expressing that, that he himself is seeking the Lord. And then if we just look at a couple of the prophets, Isaiah wrote this in the 26th chapter. It's recorded, O Lord, we have waited for you. The desire of our soul is for your name and for the remembrance of you. And then this, with my soul, I have desired you in the night. Yes, by my spirit within me, I will seek you. Again, Isaiah is describing that personal longing to know God and to go deeper with him. And then finally, just a reference to Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah, these words that I want to share right here, uh, these are God's words through Jeremiah. So Jeremiah the prophet, he is speaking as God's mouthpiece. And this is what the Lord says. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Jeremiah chapter 29. 
So again, God says, seek me. And he promises, you will find me, but you must seek me with all of your heart. And so this is the way we go deeper with God. We have to personally seek him. We have to personally set aside time to say, God, I want to know you. And I was even thinking about this in regard to my own life. I was thinking about um, just all of the wonderful stories in scripture of God you know, revealing himself to people and them crying out to him and him coming to their aid or him answering their heart's cry or whatever. And I was thinking about how I need those experiences myself. And we all need those. And the wonderful thing is we all have that same opportunity because we've all been invited into this kind of uh, knowledge of God. Now, let me take this uh, and, and now just expand it one step further. And our third point is that we will, in, in doing this, so we're talking about that, that heart that just says, Lord, I'm going to seek you. But what is, that, what is the avenue through which we do it? Well, we do it through prayer, but we do it through the scriptures. You see, it's through the word of God. And thank God we have a Bible, Thank God we have many Bibles. God has given us his word. And we here in the Western world, in the English-speaking world especially, we are so blessed to have God's word. But along with that blessing comes a responsibility. And so we need to be in the word of God because you see, it's through God's word that we will come to that deeper knowledge of God. And it's through meditating on God's word. There are passages that remind us of that. Um, the Lord spoke to Joshua, the successor of Moses, and he said, uh, this book of the law, speaking of the word at that time, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. That was the word to Joshua. And when you do that, you're going to prosper and you're going to have success in your spiritual life. And then the psalmist said something similar. The very first psalm, David writes this uh, psalm to open the whole uh, book of psalms. The, the 150 psalms begins with, uh, blessed is the man or the woman who delights in the law of the Lord. And in God's law, they meditate day and night. For again, that person will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. They're going to bring forth fruit. Their leaf is not going to wither. Whatever they do is going to prosper. These are the promises. So, so if we're going to come to that, that deep knowledge of God that he desires that we have, it's going to be through the scriptures and through meditating on them. Now, once again, I want to go back to J.I. Packer. And from his book, Knowing God, he has a great paragraph on meditation. And he describes it. He says, meditation is the activity of calling to mind and thinking over and dwelling on and applying to oneself the various things that one knows about the works and ways and purposes and promises of God. It is an activity of holy thought consciously performed in the presence of God, under the eye of God, by the help of God, as a means of communion with God. 
It is a matter of talking to oneself about God and one's self. I love that. What a, what a great description of meditation. And let me just t- touch on a few things again. He says, uh, it is the activity of calling to mind and thinking over and dwelling on and applying. So when we go to the word of God, it's not simply that we're reading it, but well, we are to read it, but we also need to meditate on it. And just some of you might be saying, well, I don't even know how to do that. I don't, I don't even know where to start. People often ask the question, how do you, how do you get into a regular, consistent uh, time of, of reading the Bible? Now, everybody has a different way of going about it. Um, and, you know, for some people, one way seems to work well, and for other people, a different way works well. I, I can just share with you really quickly uh, what, what I do. And, and I do this at this stage in my life, having uh, read and studied the Bible for about 40 years now. <laughs> It's a long time. Um, but my habit is similar to what it's always been, but these days it's, it's a little bit different. So really quickly, what I do these days is I, I try to start off with a psalm. And I start, of course, in the first psalm, and then I eventually make my way through all of the 150. So, so each day I'm reading um, at least one psalm. Sometimes if the psalms are brief, I will read maybe two or three. Uh, but that's where I start. And I, and I start there because I want to just sort of stir myself up a little bit. And the Psalms seem to be a good tool for that. So from there, then I read a chapter in the Old Testament. And actually, right now, I'm reading a little more than a chapter because I'm making my way through the prophets. I just finished Habakkuk yesterday. And uh, so I actually read the Habakkuk's just a few chapters. So I read all of those chapters. If it's a small uh, book, I'll generally read the whole thing. But like when I was going through Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, um, I was reading a couple of chapters a day, a couple of chapters a day there. But I started in Genesis reading a couple of chapters there, and now I just happen to be through the prophets. So I read a psalm, I read a couple of chapters in the Old Testament, and then I try to always read some in the Gospels. So I normally start in Matthew, and I make my way through the Gospel of John, and sometimes I'll read a whole chapter. Sometimes I might read two chapters. Right now, I'm in the Gospel of Luke, and I'm not even taking a chapter at a time. I'm just taking a section. So I'll read a portion of the chapter. I'll think about that. And then that'll be my reading in the Gospel for the day. And then I also add one of the letters. Um, and, and oftentimes, I'll include Acts with the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. Those are all historical narrative I will read those together, then Romans and on through the epistles. Uh, right now, currently, I'm in the book of Revelation just because I'd finished up a number of uh, the epistles and I thought, you know, I want to read the book of Revelation. I'm reading a new translation right now, so I wanted to read Revelation in that particular translation. And I'm reading uh, at least a chapter a day. So why am I telling you that? I'm telling you that just to give you an example, not to say do it exactly like I do, but just to give you an example. But the wonderful thing is God will show us all what works best for us. But the important thing is to be there, is to dig into, it's to dive into the scriptures. And as he went on to say in this paragraph on meditating, he said, it is an activity of holy thought consciously performed in the presence of God under the eye of God by the help of God. 
I love that. When we open the Bible and come with a heart that says, Lord, I'm coming to seek you, we're in the presence of God. And we can trust that we're under the eye of God. And we can also trust that we are going to receive the help of God. And God's going to speak to us. And this is that place where we are going to find ourselves going deeper and deeper in our understanding of the Lord, in our knowledge of the Lord. And so, as Paul expressed, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, we can follow in the footsteps of Paul and we can have those same kinds of deep, uh, intimate experiences with the Lord that Paul had himself and longed to have more of. The question really is this, are we pursuing that? Are we seeking that? Now, what happens is a lot of times our lives are so busy and they're so chaotic, it crowds all of this out. And we think, oh, well, I, I want to do that, but I just don't have the time. My day starts so early and then I've got to do this and that. Well, listen, right now is a different story, isn't it? And uh, like my wife has been saying uh, to me and to some friends and even publicly, um, it's like the Lord has hit the pause button. And through this quarantine and the different things that are happening right now, it, life itself is, is being paused. It's almost like God is imposing a Sabbath day on everybody. But what a great time to take advantage of the time that we have and to start a whole new pattern of life, maybe for some. Maybe for others, it's just digging deeper because you've already been there. But maybe for some, it's like this, I'm gonna start a new pattern that I'm gonna carry this pattern into life when things go back to whatever the new normal uh, might be. But we can do that today. And I want to urge you to do that. I want to encourage you to do that. Because remember, the promise is that you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. And this promise is to everyone. You see, part of the new covenant that Jesus came to bring, and when he came into Jerusalem that day, on the back of that donkey, uh, he was coming into Jerusalem for the final time. And of course, that week, he would um, die on the cross at the end of the week, but he would also institute in that, what we call the Last Supper, he would institute the new covenant. And he would take that bread and he would break it and he would take that cup and they would share it. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood of the new covenant. And one of the chief features of the new covenant is this. Jeremiah expressed it and Hebrews 8 repeats it. This is it. The new covenant is that all will know me. All will know me. No one will say to his neighbor or his friend, know the Lord here, let me teach you because you can't know him personally. Uh, no, all will know me from the least of them to the greatest. That's the beauty of the new covenant. All will know me from the least of them to the greatest. There's a, a catechism that was written many centuries ago. It's called the Westminster Catechism. And there it states this. It states the chief end of mankind is to know God and to glorify him forever. And that's the reality. That's why we're here. 
the chief end, our, our, our ultimate purpose is to know God. And anything else that subverts that, anything else that interferes with that is something that needs to be set aside. Now, of course, God knows that we've all got things to do. And when life is normal, we all have jobs. We all have those things. Those are fine. God understands that. He expects that. But those things are not to, to take uh, precedence over seeking God. So uh, because the chief end of mankind is to know God and to enjoy him forever. Now, once again, J.I. Packer, and I'm going to close with a, another quote from Packer. And if you get the book, Knowing God, you can read all these great quotes there. But he said this, he said, once you become aware that the main business you are here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. It's so true. So many problems, so many struggles, so many difficulties. What, what is all of this about? Why is this going on? But once we realize that, wait a second, I'm here primarily to know God, all of those things just seem to fall into place. And then Packer goes on and he says, the world today, now remember he wrote this in the early 1970s, but nothing's really changed. Maybe the terminology has changed, but the facts remain the same. He says, the world today is full of sufferers from the wasting disease known as absurdism. Absurdism is, life is a bad joke. And from the complaint, nothing tastes. These disorders blight the whole of life. Everything's become becomes at once a problem and a bore because nothing seems worthwhile. You see, that's life under the sun. Everything is a problem or a bore. Nothing seems even worthwhile. What is the point? What is the purpose of life? Well, you see, unless you realize that the purpose of life is knowing God, this is where life inevitably goes. But, but once we understand that, we're no longer caught in that struggle. He says, these disorders blight the whole of life. And so everything becomes at once a problem and a bore because nothing seems worthwhile. But these are all ills, listen, from which in the nature of the case, Christians are immune except for occasional spells of derangement when the power of temptation presses their minds out of shape and these, by God's mercy, do not last. What makes life worthwhile is having a big enough objective, something which catches our imagination, lays hold of our allegiance, and this the Christian has in a way that no other person has for what higher more exalted and more compelling goal can there be than to know God? Amen. What, what could there possibly be? And so what Packer is saying here is once we understand that this is really the purpose of our existence, everything changes for us. And we're no longer wandering aimlessly through the world wondering, you know, what is life all about? And, and I'm frustrated and I'm bored and I'm, uh, no, that, that's all done away with. Because now we know I am alive to know God. And I can keep, as long as I'm alive, I can go deeper and deeper and deeper with God. And the, the knowledge of Christ is inexhaustible. 
Paul referred to the, the, the unsearchable riches of Christ. The riches of Christ can never be fully searched out. So we can spend 10 lifetimes uh, digging into the riches of Christ and, and not exhaust that. And so there's plenty for us to do in seeking the Lord. And let me just say this as we close. Jesus said this. Jesus, of course, came to give us eternal life. And the Bible says that many places over. Jesus defined eternal life as this. Jesus is praying to the Father, recorded in John chapter 17. And in verse three, he says this. He says, he says Father, um, you know, my, my prayer is that they might know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent for this is eternal life. I've rearranged the words, but Jesus begins by saying, he said that he's come to give eternal life and this is eternal life. So he defines eternal life as knowing God and knowing Jesus Christ whom he has sent. That's what eternal life is. And eternal life is a quality of life now that cannot be attained apart from God and a quantity of life that is endless. It goes on forever. And so this is why we are created. This is why Jesus came into the world so that we could have eternal life so that we can know God. And I want to say to those of you that do know God, I want to give you the challenge to seek to know him better to go deeper with him. And once again, to take this time, to take this pause in life that we've been given, this imposed Sabbath, if you will, and to say, I am going to use this time to seek God. I want to come through this knowing God better than I went into it. And perhaps today you're watching and you can't say that you know God. For some of you, you might say, I don't know God at all. I don't even know anything about God. And maybe you've been hearing a little bit here. Others might say, well, I, I know some stuff about God, but I couldn't really say I know him. And that's the question. Of course, we can know about people, but not necessarily know them. But what we're talking about here is not merely knowing about, that's part of it, but it's actually knowing. Sometimes people will ask me, do you know such and such a person? And uh, well, I know, I know them, I know of them. But I would say, well, no, I don't know them. But then other people, well, yes, I know. I, not only do I know them, I know them very well. That's the way God wants you to know him. He wants you to be able to say, oh, I know God. Yes, God's my father. God, oh, my, God, God is my friend. God's saying about you. God said about Abraham, Abraham, my friend. And God will say that about you. He wants to say that about you. He wants to say that about all of us. And that is the place that we come to when we come to know God. How do we come to know God? We come to know God through Christ. We come to know God through putting faith in Jesus. And when I say putting faith in Jesus, I mean by, um, by trusting that Jesus is who he claimed to be, that he's the savior of the world that he's God the Son who came into the world to die in the place of sinners, to rise again and conquer death, and then to give life to all those who trust in him. And if you haven't trusted in him today, I want to help you to do that. I want to lead you in a simple prayer. 
If you want to know God, you're saying, I want to know God. I need to know God. This is what I need. I, th- my life is empty. It's me. I need this. I, I feel guilty. I'm burdened. I'm confused. I'm fearful. Jesus is the answer. And knowing God is what you are being invited into. So if you want to do that, then say this simple prayer with me. It's very simple. And your heart is what matters, that you mean this, that you're sincere, as sincere as you know how to be, that you would just simply say, Lord Jesus, I need you. Lord Jesus, I don't know God. I want to know God. Jesus, I am a sinner. Please forgive my sins and cleanse me of my sin. And come and take my life and make it yours. I give you my life and I receive your salvation. And I thank you. Amen. And Lord, I pray for anyone that just repeated that prayer, wherever they are in the world today, I pray that you would seal them with your Holy Spirit and that you would now bring them uh, as they've come now to know you, that they might know that they know you, but Lord, that they will go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper in that knowledge of God that you created them to experience. And Lord, may that be the case with all of us. And we thank you for salvation and we praise you. Amen.